So we're going to look at this really amazing thought of the Apostle Paul. And we talked a little bit about it last week in the sermon, which triggered my mind. I thought, well, let's just go there and let's talk about this before we move on in the series. So it's kind of a, a little blip that I'm, <laughs> but, but it, actually not a blip. It's the, it's the heart of the gospel. It's in the third chapter of Ephesians in verse 17. If you want to drop your eyes down to that. This amazing thought of the Apostle Paul, we want to stand together for the reading of God's word. And that is this, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Lord, at his blessing the reading. Please be seated. So as we, we look at this and talk about this, we need to be reminded here from this passage of scripture that we're not really dealing with, with our love to God at this point, but his love to us. And that's what this is about, the love of God and his love that he has for us. So as we talk about the vastness of his love, which is what this passage really is dealing with here, he uses a figure of speech, which is a, really an oxymoron. Uh, he prays that we may know, and I've underlined it there, that we may know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, which brings the question to our minds, how can you know something that cannot be known? It passes our knowledge, but to know it and understand it. How can you measure that which is immeasurable? How can you measure that which is eternal? And that's what he's talking about here. But we're going to look at this, um, and uh, we're going to look into something which really is very glorious, which is foundational for Christian people. It's kind of mind-blowing when we talked about the endlessness of this, and we're going to spend eternity actually wondering about this, and wondering about the love of God, and amazed by the love of God. I think one of the chief defects that we have as Christian people is that we fail to realize fully the love of God for us. We fail to realize the, the deep love that he has for us. We spend time thinking about a lot of things, a lot of activities, our problems, but the most important necessity in a Christian life is to know Christ's love and to know that intensely. And then, I keep using this word over and over, and I, I really need to go talk about this, to meditate on it, to spend time thinking about the love of God in our lives. So the first thing he says there is, have you ever considered the breadth of the love of God? Have you ever considered the breadth of the love of God? In Revelations 5, 9, for instance, we find these words, and has redeemed us to God by your blood, out of every kindred, every tongue, every people, every nation. And then again, if you drop down into verse 11 of, of, of Revelation 5, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000s and thousands of thousands. Revelation is particularly interested in the breadth of the love of God and what the breadth is. And it gives us a picture of the glorified saints. In the seventh chapter, it speaks to this. It says, after this, I beheld a great multitude 
which no man could number, all the nations and kindred and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb. And one day we'll see this perfectly. We'll see this perfectly. But in discouraging times that we have, you know, and difficult times in church history where the church has struggled. And sometimes we look at the church today and say, well, we're, we're struggling a little bit. What can be more encouraging than to think of the breath of the love of God and what that means to us. The failure of the Jews, that they really never grasped this, they thought salvation was just for them. Just for them. Those eyes that are opened by the Spirit of God, that see things biblically, came to see that that was wrong. That was wrong. And that in Christ, there is neither Jew nor Gentile. There is neither male nor female. There is neither slave nor free. Nothing is more encouraging than to remember that in every country, every continent on this globe, through differing colors and and, and culture and background, men and women are meeting together today to worship the Lord Jesus Christ for his great salvation. The glory of this, I think, is going to be amazing to us, not only here, but in glory. When we look at the, the throng, it's, I, there's, a, there's a poem that I picked up that I thought that went along with this. 10,000 times 10,000 in sparkling raiment white, the armies of the ransomed saints throng up the steeps of light. Tis finished, tis finished, their fights with death and sin fling open wide the golden gates And let the victors in. Let the victors in. Think of and grasp, kind of grasp, the greatness of this plan of salvation. In Luke chapter 13 and 23, we're told that certain people came to Jesus and they asked him the question, are there just going to be a few people that are going to be saved? Just a few people going to be saved? Scripture tells us that we're going to be astounded by this. We're going to be astounded when we see all the redeemed that are gathered in heaven. The fullness of the Gentiles, it says, will be there. All of Israel is going to be saved. And they're going to stand before the throne. And the redeemed are going to stand in the presence of God. Paul prays that the Ephesians and that you and I might know this because this changes our entire outlook when we feel depressed, when we feel down, when we're tempted to doubt whether there's any future for the church of Jesus Christ. 10,000 times 10,000 in sparkling raiments white. The armies of the ransomed. Look at the breath of Christ's work, of Christ's love, and see the final results of his finished work. And we're going to do that when we get to glory. And once you begin to realize the breath of his love, it lifts you up. It's straight. We're not here by ourselves, church. The church is massive. Those who follow Christ. Lift up your heads. Lift up your heads. Realize who we are and what we have in Christ Jesus. And you realize you have a privilege of being a member of a mighty army of God. A people of God who will spend eternity in the presence of the Lamb of God and enjoy Him forever, forever. Then secondly, the length of the love of God. 
And uh, I'm convinced Paul's sharing these things in order to encourage us. I really am. He's lifting up this church at Ephesus who were struggling. There are so many who are struggling today, struggling with their faith, struggling with the things of their life. The length shows us the endless character of the love of God, who God is. We read the scriptures about the, 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 the everlasting love of God. Here's what he says in, back in Jeremiah 31. He says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have loved you with an everlasting love. This love began in eternity. It's everlasting. It was always there. It was always there. Before the world and, and before you were created, you know, before you were created, an agreement was entered into between God the Father and God the Son. There was a covenant of redemption that happened. It was an agreement concerning salvation of who we are and who we are in Christ. It was an agreement concerning that the fall of man was already foreseen. Everything was known about what was going to happen in this world. And the Son, as the representative of humanity, the Son of God, entered into a covenant with the Father that he would save and redeem them. Jesus was going to save and redeem. And the Father covenanted with the Son to grant certain privileges and blessings to a people who were now given to the Son. And there was a covenant that was made. And it's important to meditate on these things, to realize who we are in Christ. And it brings us to the realization that the love of Christ to you began Before time, before time, you were in the heart of God. Christ's love did not suddenly come into being. It was there before the beginning of time. We read this in Revelation 13, that our names were written in the Lamb's book of life from the foundations of the world. I mean, this is powerful. This is something to think about and meditate upon. This is, to me, one of the most staggering things most staggering things, that every one of us who belongs to him, who loves him, were known by Christ in eternity. My name was written. What what a mighty dignity for humanity, really. The dignity of life, the dignity of human life that is known. He has set his heart on us. He has set his love on us. And that affection rests on us even into eternity, before time, before time. So the love of Christ for his own people, for his church, for you and me, from eternity to eternity. It began in eternity, it continues in time, it continues to us today in time, and we can therefore always be sure that it will never change. We'll talk about that, that it's never going to change. It will always be the same. Hebrews 13, Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. Forever. And his love is always the same. It never changes. We sing about that so many times, in so many different ways, in so many different songs. There are no interruptions to his love. You know, the, the, the love of, it, it, it happens in my life. It goes on. It's constant. It doesn't stop and start. doesn't stop and start like my love. It doesn't stop and start. It's always constant. It's always there. It's an unchanging love. It is a love that never gives up, never lets go. We sing that, right? 
never gives up, never lets go, always has a hold of us. That's the love of God in our lives. A great expression of this is found in Jesus when he's talking about the parable of the prodigal son. Talks about, that's about the love of God. That whole thing is about the love of God. In spite of the fact that the younger son has been a fool, he's taken his inheritance, he's trashing the love of the father. He's just trashing him. He's wasted his life. He's, he's, he's in a mess. His whole life is turned upside down and his father still loves him and is waiting for him. Opening his arms to him. This is a picture of the love of Christ toward his own. Patient, long, suffering, bearing with us, never giving up. Never giving up. Nothing is more powerful than to realize that even when we turn our backs on him and we sin against him, his love remains. Matisse's hymn kind of expresses this. It's an old hymn. I think it's in our hymn book. As a matter of fact, I know it's in the hymn book. O love that will not let me go, I rest my weary soul in thee. O love that will not let me go, I rest my weary soul in thee. It's a love that follows us. It's a love that will not let go. God has said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. So Paul expresses the length with these words. We know that we love, actually we like these words. Romans 8, you know. I am persuaded that neither life nor death nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present, things that are to come, height or depth nor any other creature shall separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing, nothing can ever cause it to change or fail. Augustus says, nothing can sever my soul from his love. Does that comfort you? Do you, you feel that love of God in your life? What, what a strength that it gives to us. When life beats you up and you're tired and you're weary and you're worn out, and your hurts from the things of life and the difficulties, if he set his heart, his love on you, nothing, nothing will ever rob you of that love. That's what this is saying. If, if hell itself is loosed, all of that turmoil, everything goes against you. Nothing will ever cause him to let you go. He'll hold you. He'll hold you. It started in eternity. It manifests itself in time. And it goes into eternity. Right? The author of Hebrews states, Therefore, because Christ has an eternal priesthood. Now think about what he's saying here. He is able to save them. And my father had this, I was saying this Wednesday night, has this little plaque uh, as we would enter the, the home. Jesus saves to the uttermost. Jesus saves to the uttermost. That's where he got it from. He saves to the uttermost. He always lives to care for you. He's there to care for us. He is making intercession for us, even right now before the Father. He's, he's not like the earthly priests, is what he's saying. Not like those in the Old Testament. They would come into the Holy of Holies, the holy place, and they would do this and they would do that. They did their work of what they were supposed to do. And then they died and somebody else took their place. You know? So and it's the same here. 
You know, there's you got a pastor for a while, and then he gets old and moves on. Dick Charlick, I remember the first, one of the first uh, things I said to Dick, we were, we were having some meeting down there, and we were talking about something, and I said, yeah, I said, you know, Dick, pastors come and go. Pastors come and go. And he says, yeah, I know. I don't know how he meant that. <laughs> but yeah, I know. You know, pastors come and go. Jesus, Jesus isn't like that. Jesus is a forever priest. That's what Scripture is saying to us. He lives. He lives. He's a forever priest. He's always there. He always will be. That idea should give, give us an idea of the length of his love that he has for us. And then the third thing I see here, the depth of his love. This is what wrecks me. It wrecks me because we're moving into that season now of, of, of Good Friday and Easter and, and all that was, you know, the, the passion of Christ. Uh, in, in Philippians 2, Paul shows the depth of Christ's love. First in what he did, what Jesus did for us. Perhaps the most staggering words that are ever written is, uh, it, it, it came from our Lord that he was in the form of God. He was in the form of God. He was God the Son in the bosom of the Father, living with him, enjoying his presence forever from all eternity. But the apostle tells us that he thought it not robbery to be equal with God. He's the same essence of God. That means that he did not regard equality of God, something he had to hold on to. I, I got to hold on to this. I, this is mine. This is mine. Rather, he humbled himself. We know the passage. And he came into the world of sin and, 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 and it, in the likeness of man. We call this Christmas. We call this the incarnation. You know, where he became a baby in the flesh. This is crazy. This is crazy beyond understanding. Just the understanding of it. As the apostle says, it is the love of Christ which passes knowledge. These are historical facts that I'm sharing. These are historical facts that he came into this world. He deliberately did not hold on to what he had a right to hold on to. I am God. I am equal with God. But he humbled himself, he entered into a virgin's womb, he took the human nature, he came, he lived as a man in this world, recall the poverty, he, he was in a home that was, was so impoverished, and he lived there, he was born into that home. Think of what happened to him while he was still in this world, he who's equal to the Father, think about it, the eternal Son of God, consider what he suffered from mankind from hatred, and from their rage. Think of the suffering that he had from weariness, from weakness, from thirst. Think of men grabbing him and, 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 and arresting him and trying him and mocking him and jeering at him, spitting in his face, condemning him to death and scourging him. Think of these things. The Son of God. The Son of God. And you see him staggering in this picture here, under the weight of the cross on his way, the Villa della Rosa, the way to, to Golgotha. Look at him nailed to the tree and listen to the expressions of agony that we find in the scriptures. 
the thirst he endured, the pain that he suffered. Think of the terrible moment when our sins were placed on him. And he even lost sight of the father, the father's face. He died, he was buried, he was laid in a grave. This one who is the author of life, the author of life, the creator of everything, dead. Dead. In a grave. Why did he do this? The astounding answer is because of his love for you. Because of his love for you. Because of his love for you. Such is the depth of his love. So this love shows yet greater and deeper when we, we remember that, that there's nothing in us that deserves this love. <laughs> nothing in us that calls forth this great love for us. What does scripture say? All we like sheep have gone astray. Have we not, have, you know, what does the Lord say? Here's what I want for you. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength. Anybody do that? All your, <laughs> anybody do that? No. That's what scripture's saying here. We all like sheep have gone astray. We have all come short of the glory of God. And as the scripture says in Romans chapter three, none is righteous, no, not one, not even one, not even one. No one is truly wise. No one is seeking God. All have turned away. All have become useless. No one does good, not a single one. Their talk is foul. It's like the stench of an open grave, Scripture says. Their tongues are filled with lies. Snake venom drips from their lips. You like that? Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. They rush to commit murder. They shed blood. Destruction and misery follow them. They don't know where to find peace. They have no fear of God. They have no fear of God. Here's the, here's the thing. It was for these people. It was for these people, such people as this, that Christ came and he endured the cross, despising the shame. The apostle makes the same point in Romans chapter 5. Greater love hath no man than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. But Paul says, God commended his love toward us, right? That while we were yet sinners, while we were still an enemy of God, while we were still walking away from God, turning our backs on God, we, we, we were enemies, he came for us. He came for us. He did this for sinners, his enemies, people who were full of sin, that's the measure of the depth of his love. He came from heaven. He went down into the depths. He rose again. We know the story. And it was only as we meditate on these things that we realize the truth that we begin to know something about his love, the love of God. Frederick Lehman, he, he wrote these words, another song that's in our handbook. Could we with ink the ocean fill? And were the skies of parchment made, 
were every stalk on earth a quill and every man a scribe by trade. To write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry, nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. And then the chorus, oh, oh, love of God, so rich and pure, so measureless, so boundless, oh, the love of God. And he wrote this song. So that brings us to the length, the length. Now we're back on the other slide. Yeah. And the height. So the breadth, thousands upon thousands upon thousands. Thousands upon thousands upon thousands. The depth, the Son of God came. The Son of God came and died for us. The length, and now the height. This expresses God's final purpose. This is the whole story of salvation. The final purpose for us, for the church. God proposes to raise us up. Raise us up. Most of us tend to think of our salvation in terms of our forgiveness. We've been forgiven by God, forgiven of sins. No, no, no. No, the height, the love of Christ is larger than that. It's bigger than that. It's more glorious than that. Something of this height is seen in the fact that he died, not only that we might be forgiven, he died to make us good. He died to make us good people. He died not only that our sins might be blotted out, but that we also might be given new birth, a changed behavior, a changed life. Not just to save us from punishment, that we might be made the children of God, and so we are, Scripture says. Sons and daughters of God. Such is his purpose. And he had an end in view. He had an end in view. And then having given us this new birth, he causes us to dwell in, in, the, in the same Holy Spirit that he had in him. He puts that Holy Spirit in us. This is an amazing thing to me. That my whole life has changed because of the presence of the Holy Spirit in my life. He has made us a part of himself. And we're going to celebrate that in communion in just a little bit. He has made us a part of himself. He has actually joined us to himself. His own body. We are the body of Christ. We are the body of Christ. And that's why we were quickened with him. Did you grasp this? We are the body of Christ. Literally. He placed his spirit in us. And that's why we're quickened with him. That's why we are raised with him. That's why we are seated in heavenly places with him. Because we are a part of him. And what happens to him happens to us. We're part of the body of Christ. In Ephesians 5, he goes on to say, we are members of his body, of his flesh, of his bones. Literally. Members of the body of Christ. Philippians says that he not only saves us in a spiritual sense, he's going to save our bodies. Our bodies. His purposes to redeem us completely. Entirely. Not just here, inside, but our bodies. Our bodies. So we look for a Savior that's coming from heaven 
He's coming again, right? Who will transform our bodies. They're going to be conformed, Scripture says, to his glorious body, his body, according to the working by which he's able to subdue all things to himself. Have we realized that Christ will not be satisfied until everybody is glorified? His people. Everybody's going to be glorified as his own body is glorified. And we talk about the glory of Christ. No, we're, we're a part of that. We're raised with him. Remember how in his last prayer on earth, he was praying to the Father in the 17th chapter of John, and he prayed these words, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am and see my glory which you have given to me because you loved me before the foundations of the world. Our Lord's love toward us knows no bounds. I mean, it's, it's amazing, this love of God. His desire for us is that we should be with him and see something of the glory which he shared with the Father before eternity. That glory that I had, he says, with you, can you imagine that? I want them to have. I want them to enter into that glory. I want them to be a part of that glory. That's what he's saying. 1 John 3, 1 and 2, is describing this, this height. He says this, See what love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. The reason the world does not know us is that it didn't know Him. Beloved, now we are the children of God, and it does not appear yet what we shall be. But we know that when He appears, we shall be, what? Like Him. Like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. That's the end of all this. I love my wife. And the things that I love, and the things that I, I desire, things that are important to me, I want the object of my love to share with me. The joy that I have, the exuberance I, I want her to share in that. All the privileges of heaven, all the blessings that, that are just belong to the Lord, all the enjoyments of the Lord, he looks at his people and says, I want them to share in that glory. I want them to share what you and I have as he talks to the Father. This is his ambition for his body, the church. We shall be glorified in spirit and in body, perfectly filled with the fullness of God. The final word, Thessalonians, says this, so shall we ever be with the Lord. So shall we ever be with the Lord. That's the love of Christ to us. Maybe you've been feeling sorry for yourself. Maybe you're down. Maybe you're struggling with some things. Allow the world to defeat you. You know, there's stuff, a lot of stuff going on out there. It's depressing you. The antidote to that is to meditate on the love of God. Meditate on the love of God, on the love of Christ. Its breadth, its length, its depth, its height. Realize who you are as a Christian. Realize who you are. 
that Jesus has set his affection on you. You're the apple of his eye. The guy by the name of Sinek who made this exhortation, which I like, he says, children of the heavenly king, as ye journey, sweetly sing, sing, sing your Savior's worthy praise, glorious in his works and in his ways. One great cause of the present condition of the church is that we don't know Christ's love to us. The depth of his love to us. We spend so much time on petty things. Things that you know, discussion, things that don't make any difference at all. And that's why the apostle prayed without ceasing to these Ephesians, this church that was doing the same kind of thing. He says, with all the saints, comprehend what is the breadth, and the length, and the depth, and the height, and to know the love of Christ which passes all. Not know the love of Christ. Know the love of Christ. Know it. Grow in it. Rejoice in it. And then he continues in his hymn, he says, shout, little flock, and blessed, you on Jesus' throne shall rest. There your seat is now prepared, there your kingdom, and there's your reward. Lift your eyes. Lift your eyes, ye sons of light. Zion's city is in sight. There our endless home shall be, there our Lord we soon shall see. And then he ends his little verse by saying, Lord, obediently we go. Gladly leaving all below, only thou our leader be, and we still will follow thee. We're going to follow you. We're going to follow you. In Ephesians 1.19, and I close with this, he makes this incredible statement about how we attain this in our life. Is that we would understand the incredible greatness of God's power to those who believe. To those who believe, right? Notice the power is activated when you believe. You believe in Him. That means right now the Creator of the universe is just waiting to release healing and glory and His presence and restoration and favor and blessings. In abundance. Just believe. Only believe. He says that. If you would believe, you would see the glory of God. Where does he say that? That's, that's at the grave of Lazarus. Dead in the grave. Dead in the grave. And he's talking to Mary and Martha, and, and they're they're. They're just, their lives are coming apart because their brother had just died. And Jesus, he's, after he's raising Lazarus, says, didn't I tell you? If you would believe, you would see the glory of God. And I'm saying that to you this morning. Belief in Jesus unleashes the glory of God in our lives. Not just now, <laughs> but forever. And we're to see the glory of God, not only in this life, but in the kingdom. Didn't I tell you, Jesus says, you'll see the glory of God. You may have plenty of reasons to be discouraged and depressed and negative. But God is saying to you, if you'll only believe, 
You will see my power in new ways. New ways. Make up your mind. Make up your mind. Choose this day, the scripture says. You're going to be a believer or you're going to be a doubter? You're going to believe or you're going to doubt? You may not see how something is going to happen, but that's not your job. Your job is to believe. Your job is to believe. Your job is to come before him as your Lord and your Savior. Let's pray. Our Father, we're thankful for the message of Scripture. And we're here we have, Lord, your great apostle that himself had the explosion of God's love in his life, that he can't contain himself, that he breaks into these doxologies again and again and again of love and, and, and praise and thanksgiving for what God has done in his life. And he says to the church today, Oh, I, I want you to know the height, the length, the depth of the love of God in Christ Jesus the Lord. I want you to know that. I want you to know he'll never leave you. I want you to know he'll never forsake you. I want you to know there's power available for your lives in him. And I want you to know that this life is not all there is. that there's a life yet to be. And we sang that song, Because He Lives, I Can Face Tomorrow. Because He Lives, all fear is gone, because I know, I know who holds the future. And life is worth a living. Because He lives. And that's what this is saying to us. He lives, not just today, He's forever. In eternity past, He was there. In the eternity yet to be, he's there. And during our life, he's there. And he's filled us with his Holy Spirit. We're a part of his body. We come to celebrate that today in the breaking of bread, in the drinking of wine. And Jesus says, you know, remember, do this in remembrance of me. We realize that we have a different life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So we come with thanksgiving, we come with praise, we come with wonder, and we pray, Lord, that you take all the doubt away, all the doubt away, that we might enter into just a a true belief in what Jesus has done for us at Calvary. And this is our heart, and this is our prayer. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.